morning. It's good to be back with you this morning. If you got your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Um, this was initially going to be uh, week 4 of 5 uh, when I set out to, uh, to kind of map through Romans 8. Uh, but over the course of, of studying this week uh, for what Paul has written, just in the, the text that I had planned, I realize there is way, way too much uh, to, to try to cram in to 30, 35 minutes. And, and so what we've done is we're actually going to extend this series a couple weeks. Uh, so today what we're going to highlight is Romans 8, and we're going to work through uh, verses 18 down to verse 22. Uh, and then we'll do 23 through 25 next week, 26 through 30, and then we'll wrap up uh, the week, two weeks before Christmas. Uh, we will wrap up this series. Now, the reason why, uh, one, is, is because there's just so much that Paul has written in Romans chapter 8. Too much to try to gloss over uh, in that amount of time. Uh, but two, uh, last Sunday night, uh, we had a student-led refinery night of worship. And as you leave today, uh, you'll see some, some black paper on the wall. Uh, go back and, and, and just look at that. Uh, read what some of our students are, are, are both thankful for, but also things that, that they're kind of struggling with. And, and one of the things that over and over and over again that is on uh, the surrender wall, things that they're dealing with that they're trying to, to let go of, try to, to allow God to fill, was, was this sense of, of anxiety, of, of fear, of depression. And, and I think they are a microcosm of what we as a whole are experiencing. And so initially what I had planned to do was do a couple weeks on anxiety and depression leading up uh, to Christmas and kind of the, the biblical view of it. Uh, and I think we're going to push that to the beginning of, of 2023. Uh, I don't know if we'll start the year off on that. Uh, uh, that remains to be seen. But we're going we're gonna to look at that because this is an issue that, that our students are dealing with. This is an issue that many of you are dealing with as well. And, and we need to look at what the Word says about how you and I both cope and handle uh, depression and anxiety. So we're moving that uh, to the beginning of 2023 to allow for the extra two weeks for Romans chapter 8. Okay, so you had a mission that this week we were going to have memorized, actually if you were going off the original sermon calendar, uh, verses 1 through 30 of Romans chapter 8. So, so here's what I, I want to do. I will not call you up and ask you to recite it, but is there anybody who has all 30 verses memorized? Okay, you didn't have the first four a couple weeks ago either, so I wasn't expecting much. Well, here's the deal. Neither do I, okay? All right, I, I want to be open and transparent with you. At this point, neither do I. So here is my pledge to you. Next week, we're going to be working through verses 23 through 25. My promise to you is that I will have all 25 verses memorized. That is my promise to you. And so I hope that you will do this. We, we can do this. If you will take bite-sized chunks, those bites are getting a little bigger as we've kind of pushed this stone down the road, but these are, if we will take them day by day, you can memorize this. And not just to have the memory of it, but it's to know that when these circumstances in life come about, not if, but when, you have the Word of God in your heart. And so I'm working through that. Don't have it all memorized, but, but you and I, next week, we will have 
the first 25 verses of Romans chapter 8 memorized and ready to roll. So that's our challenge. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 22 together this morning as we start off with Paul's writing. So here's what Paul says. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit tes himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So this is what we'll cover this morning. Uh, that last section, verses 18 through 22. Now if this is your first time here or you've missed a couple weeks, uh, allow me to, to catch you up on, on who Paul is writing to and why he's writing this letter specifically. Uh, Paul is writing to a group of believers <clears throat> who are experiencing turmoil within the church in Rome. A church that is made up of, of really two groups of people, Gentile believers and Jewish believers. 
the Jewish believers at one time had been cast out of Rome, and so now you've got a group of Gentile believers who, who have kind of formed their own way of, of doing church, so to speak. They've got their own way of worshiping. They've got their own way of living according to the Word of God. And now, as the Jewish believers have come back, they are intent on all of the church believing the same way that they do in that these are the things that you should do. Yes, we all believe in Christ, but, but don't forget to, to stay away from these certain things, to, to do these certain ceremonial things. And what you've got is a church that is clashing, not over the main thing, but over all of these little supplementary things. And, and so what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to, to remind them, okay, you have, you have differences in, in the cultural way that you're worshiping, but the reality is, is what you have to get is the central message of who Jesus is. And so he's, he spent the first seven chapters of Roman really taking the, the readers on two paths. He's saying, this is the sinfulness of man. This is the holiness of God. And why he's doing that is so that you can see that, that these two things are not equal. That there is a problem. He takes seven chapters to lay out really the problem of humanity. That, that we have separated ourselves by our own choosing because of our sinful nature from a holy, righteous God. And so he ends chapter 7 though in this moment of, of desperation and then relief. When he says, listen, I, I know the things that I should do and I'm not doing them. He recognizes the sinfulness of himself. And he says, who's going to save me from this body? That is, says, who's going to save me from object to death? And in a moment of relief, Paul declares, thanks be to God. He has saved me through Christ Jesus. And so this is kind of the, the moment where the gospel enters the story. And now Romans 8 is really giving us what the believer receives as a result of the gospel message, as a result of what Jesus has done. And so he started off the beginning of Romans chapter 8 by really giving us the great news of the gospel. He says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not a little bit, not, not some saved for a later date. No, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And if you remember, the reason why Paul says it the way he does is because at one time, all of us were subject to death. And Paul has now said, no, because of Jesus, those who trust in him, there is no condemnation. And so, that is found in Christ. But he's also letting us know, listen, you, you're made new. You are a new creation because of what Christ has done. So verses 1 through 4, he says, you've got now this new freedom. That, that the eternal death sentence that was awaiting you is no longer hanging over your head. You can walk in the freedom of knowing you are saved both now and forever. Listen, this changes how you live. It changes the, the mindset that you have. I'm no longer walking in shame I'm no longer walking thinking God is holding on to all of my past sins and, and just continuing to keep this tally. No, what Paul is saying is you've, you've got a new freedom now. That because of Christ, everything has been taken. All of the penalty of, of past, present, and future sin is hanging with Christ. Believers can walk in the freedom of knowing that you are saved now and you will be saved at the end of your life and when Christ returns.
You have a new freedom. Verses 5 through 8, he says, now you've got a new mindset. Because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that, that he says comes when you submit to Christ in baptism, now you have this Holy Spirit living in you that allows you to walk in obedience to him. It allows you to be made new, made more and more like Christ as you live this life. And he says we have a new identity. It's something that Alex hit on last week. You are no longer just, just citizens of this world. No, you are sons and daughters of the king. It's not this reluctant acceptance into his presence, into his glory. No, you have all of the benefits of being a child. And so this, again, allows you to walk in freedom. And he ends this section that we looked at last week in verse 17 by saying, but you also have a new inheritance. You have a, a right now to the things of God, the glory of God, because you are his children. You are co-heirs with Christ. And what this is trying to do, what Paul is trying to get us to buy into, is that the life to come is so much greater, so much more glorious than you or I can conceive of. The reason why he ends that section the way he does is because of what he's getting ready to talk about in verse 18. He says this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He ended verse 17 by saying, if we are in Christ, then we will share in his sufferings. And this is a promise. It's an inconvenient promise. In fact, last night, my wife Janelle asked me, she said, what are you preaching on tomorrow morning? I said, suffering. She's like, again? Like there, there's, something, there's something about suffering that, that we just want to remove. We want to move on from. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. But the reality that Paul is laying out is, is listen, you need, to, you need to understand this life that you live is filled with suffering. And Paul's not trying to magnify that, make much of that. What he's doing is he's using this suffering to show you, to give you a glimpse of the life to come where this is no longer a reality. And so he's not gonna, not gonna highlight the suffering so much as he's using that to get your focus off of the here and now and onto the life to come. And so he says in verse 18, I, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The word that he uses when he, he writes in the original Greek and he, he says, I consider, it gives us a picture of this mathematical calculation. He, he's saying on, on this side, I have weighed the suffering of this life. And on this side, I have weighed the glory of the life to come. And i got to tell you, as I've, I've weighed these out, if I've, I've examined both, there's no comparison. The, the glory of the life to come puts whatever shame, whatever, whatever suffering, whatever trial we experience in this life, listen, no matter how hard, it puts it to shame. The life to come is infinitely more glorious. And so Paul is trying to, to kind of redirect us on this. 
And listen, this is a man who knows suffering. 2 Corinthians, one of Paul's other letters, he writes to the church in chapter 4. He's telling them all of this laundry list of things that he's dealt with just over the course of his ministry life. He writes this. This won't be up on your screen, but just listen to the things that Paul has dealt with. He says in verse 11, Beginning in verse 24, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Forty was, was said, to have, uh, said to have killed a man. And so they always backed it off one. So it's as much torture as they could possibly inflict on someone w- without crossing the threshold of killing them. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well from the Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. This is a guy who knows suffering. This is a guy who understands the the pain that that this life in the here and now holds. And and so he is well equipped to approach this scenario and say, "But, but compared to the glory of the life to come in Christ, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. One of the, the phrases that I probably hated the most growing up was one day you'll understand. It meant a couple things. One, it meant whatever I wanted, I was probably told no. And, and two, it meant I wasn't going to understand why for quite a long time. There, there was really no good answer as to why I didn't get the thing that I wanted. Until I became a parent. Now I get it. This was the day that that my parents were kind of prepping me for. There will be a day when you understand why we've said no to this or why we've pushed you to this. And now as a parent, I find myself saying the exact same thing. Listen, I I know your mind can't conceive of of why I'm holding this back from you or why I'm, I'm pushing you in this direction. But trust me, because I love you, there is a day that you'll understand. And listen, this is, this is really the posture of all of us. As we approach the idea of suffering, there is not one of us who understands why these things take place. There is not one of us who who fully grasps and, and understands why these things have happened. But the promise of Scripture, the promise that Paul lays out, is one day you'll understand. One day you'll see. One day you'll understand that the glory of the life to come puts everything else in perspective. But this side of eternity, our understanding is limited. This side of eternity, we can't fully grasp why. We want to know why. We want answers to the question why. But they're not always given, at least not fully. But one day, one day you'll understand So how do we walk in the meantime? How how do we walk in the trials? How do we walk in the suffering that this life holds for 
all of us. Paul says this, again in his letter in 2 Corinthians, earlier on, verse 8 and 9 of of chapter 4, he says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul is, is trying to, to get you to see that there are two, two things at play here. There is the suffering of this life, and, and there is the greatness of knowing Christ and, and walking with him. And so it, it's as if he's taking both of these things, and he's saying, in the world, I'm hard-pressed. But in Christ, I'm not crushed. In this world, in this life, I'm perplexed. I've got questions I don't fully understand, but because of Christ, I'm not in despair. In this life, I am persecuted, but in Christ, I am not abandoned. In this world, I have been struck down, but make no mistake about it, in Christ, I am not destroyed. So he says later on, chapter 4, verse 16, In light of this, in light of seeing the goodness of Christ in the midst of struggles, he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, what I don't want you to hear is that in the middle of trials, is, is as though Paul is making light of these. Paul is not making light of our trials. Paul is not diminishing the pain that is present because of those. What Paul is simply trying to do is is to get your eyes off of the here and now and see that there is the glory of the life to come where, where all of these struggles, no matter how painful, will be but a distant memory. But Paul is not making light of these. He's not telling you to suck up and, and suck it up and move along. No, he's saying these are real struggles. This is real pain. This life is filled with legitimate pain that, let's be honest, many of you have felt. Many of you are feeling now. Pain that keeps you up at night. Pain that causes your your stomach to, to tie in knots. Pain that knocks you to your knees. Pain that seems as though it sucked the very life from you. But in the midst of this life, with all of its trials and pain, we are able to be patient with hope and an expectation of the life and the glory to come. Because as Paul has said, I've I've weighed them out. I've considered the suffering of this life. I've considered the glory as much as I can, the glory of the next life. And they don't compare. And it is that It is that promise of that hope that allows believers who who are promised you're going to suffer in this life if you're in Christ. It's not an if, it's a when. But you have the hope to continue on. Even if it's on your knees, 
Even if it's crawling, you have the hope to continue because you know the promise of the life to come is one that is trustworthy. Paul's going to continue in verse 19. And he's going to remind us that in the middle of this life of of pain and of suffering, that we're not the only ones who, who wait, who wait with an expectation of Christ's return, of of all to be made new. No, he says in verse 19, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Paul is is trying to paint this picture for us of of all of creation sitting on the edge of its seat, holding its breath, waiting for something. Well, the something is is for the children of God to be revealed, for for Christ to be returned, for him to reign and rule, and for the sons and the daughters of God to be revealed for the glory that has been given them because of Christ. He says, so it's not just you. It's not just you that is waiting. It's all of creation is waiting for the glory to be revealed. Listen, as we, we look around, just in this room, on the surface, we don't seem like a very glorious bunch of people. I would seem pretty normal. We're ordinary people. We're weak people. But the promise of Scripture is this, that, that there is something extraordinary about the believers in Christ that is not revealed yet, is promised, but that will one day be revealed the glory When the veil is lifted and Christ returns, the sons and daughters of God in all of their glory that has been given to them because of Jesus will be revealed. And creation itself is longing for the return of the sons and daughters of the king. Verse 20, For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. The reason why Paul is, is writing what he does here is to really show you the magnitude of sin. To show you what sin has brought on, on this life here and now. now. Now what I'm not saying is that whatever pain, whatever suffering is a result of your sin, but in a general sense, whatever pain and suffering we're experiencing in this life is a it is a byproduct of a sinful nature that has entered this world and has left us living in the curse. And so it's not to say that, that whatever you've experienced in your life is because of this certain sin. No, it's just our, our sinful nature, sin entering the world, has caused this pain and suffering and creation. It is not immune to it either. And it goes right back to the beginning in the garden. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 17, God says to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Again, what Paul is trying to do is get you to grasp the magnitude of sin and the havoc that it has wrecked on this life. And if you recognize the magnitude of sin that has first and foremost separated you from God, but also fractured this world that we live in, it should cause us to long for the day 
when Christ returns and makes all things new, restores everything to the way that it was intended, but it also should cause us to live a life of praise and thanksgiving now because we are freed. It goes back to the very beginning. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Walk in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you. Knowing that you are forgiven now and you will be redeemed and restored when he returns. This is what spurs us on to walk the Christian life. Verse 21. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. One of the things that kind of comes with the, the calling, the job that I, I have, is I get to see people at their best. I get to see those moments when, when God rescues someone, when God calls someone in, but, but you also have to take the bad moments as well. Every time I do a funeral, every time I go visit someone in the hospital who, who there's just no hope uh, at least in this life, for. Uh, every time I, I, I talk to somebody who's dealing with uh, a, a lifelong disability or a chronic illness or, or whatever pain and trouble uh, you can enter into to your story, there's this sense that stirs up inside me. And, and what I would guess is, whether you recognize it or not, it stirs up in you as well. There's a sense of, this isn't right. This is not the way this is supposed to be. And the reality of the gospel story from creation to the return of Christ is that you're right. It's not the way it was meant to be. It it, it wasn't the original design. And and so if you feel that, if you feel the sense of this isn't right, it's because it isn't. And while we, we walk through this life of, of suffering and pain now, that, that truth that, that this isn't the way it was meant to be should point us to the day when it is no, no longer the way it is. It should point us to the day when Christ redeems and restores everyone who has trusted in him and all of creation into the way it was meant to be. This is the life you were created for. It's why in the here and now, you, you, you live this life as knowing, well, this isn't it. This isn't the life I was created for. I, I'm just passing through. And, and so in all of this, what Paul is trying to do in this section is, is lift your eyes to see there is more. There is more than this life of pain. The reality is this. Um, I, I have people ask if, if I'll pray for, for their healing from from whatever. Not that I have some magic ability. I I just mean they're asking other people to pray that God would intervene in the situation. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But the reality for the believers in Christ is this. He will. He will. Whether in this life, maybe, maybe not. But he will in the next. He will heal. He will restore. He will give back that that which is lost. He will. 
And so for the believer, this is the hope that Paul is trying to get us to walk in. It doesn't negate the pain that you feel, but it simply gives you a glimpse of what's to come. There is life coming for the believer in Christ. Paul ends with this. He says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. In other words, there is pain now. There is trial now. But joy is coming. Joy is coming for those who will trust in him. Every week as we, we celebrate communion, we celebrate what Christ has done. And as we take inventory of, of all of the things that we've dealt with in this life, um, no matter how, uh, how painful, no matter how much suffering we feel like we've personally endured, the reality is, is we are a product of a life that is filled with trial and suffering. As we recognize what Christ has done, what the cross, what the broken body, what the shed blood, what the empty tomb is a powerful statement of, is death is not the final word. Is pain is not the final word. The suffering of this life is not the final word. Christ is. This is the hope for the believer. The power of God is on display in, in that all the pain that, that believers and unbelievers alike walk this life through, it is not, it is not the end of the story. The end of the story is redemption, is restoration, is life, is joy. This is what is available to you because of the cross. And so the question is this, have you, have you trusted in him? The reality is, is it's pretty simple for you. The gospel has told us exactly where you stand, where I stand. You don't measure up, not on your own. If you're trying to manufacture salvation on your own, you're, you're going to be sorely, sorely mistaken. Salvation is found in no one else but through Christ. And so the invitation is to come. To come, to be transformed now and forever into a new people with a new identity and a new freedom with a new hope and future. There is nothing Nothing better than this. Because of this, for those who would trust in him, who would walk in obedience to him, confess that he is Lord, to repent of their sins, to trust him, and die the death that he died, to be raised to life with him through baptism, the promise is this, the best is yet to come. Father, thank you for this truth.
Father, as we try to navigate this life of, of pain, of suffering, of trial, of frustration, there's something in us that declares this is not, not the way it was supposed to be. Father, may the pain of the here and now point us to your glory. Cause us to fall down on our face and worship you. Because without you, this is what life holds for us. But Father, because of you, because of your broken body, your shed blood, that, that you took the penalty of our sin, and you gave us your righteousness that you and you alone were worthy of. May that truth alone give us the boldness, give us the strength to walk another day in obedience to you. Father, for every single one of us that are believers in Christ, you have, you have called us to this time, to this place, with these people. Every day you send us out to a dying world who doesn't know who you are, who doesn't know the truth and the peace that you bring. Father, may our suffering be used for your glory. May our suffering allow us to minister to a suffering world. But may our suffering point them to Christ. God, help us to live with thanksgiving because you have made a way You have purchased our freedom. Father, thank you for the truth this morning. Lord, it is in your son's holy and precious name that we pray these things.